Thank you so much for joining us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want to talk about your health in just a second. Our show is devoted to you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is where you go to find all the ways that are hot for you to save money up to the minute. Coming up in a half hour, so many Americans in the tens of millions are on a blacklist that prevents you from doing business with the bank. And there's no appeal. The banks get to be judge, jury, and executioner, and they handled it they handle it haphazardly and roughly in exiling you from banking. I've got some stuff you need to know and how you can reestablish a banking relationship, but it's not at a bank. I want to talk about something that I am better consuming the food from than preparing the food on, and that's grilling. So there's a new special warning from Consumer Reports magazine about people who grill outside. And it's about the danger to you from, of all things, wire grill brushes. So you know how you use those to scrape off the grill and have it like you want it to cook the next time? Well, the bristles of the grill brush will break off and end up in your food And people end up in the ER in meaningful numbers because they end up swallowing a steel or brass bristle. And so people can end up with severe damage to their throat, damage to their intestines, to their stomach. I'm taking all the fun out of summer grilling, aren't I? That's terrible of me. And no, it's not that I resent that you know how to grill out and I don't. Okay, we have one of those fancy uh, ceramic cooking thingies that was popularized by the Green Egg people. And we have used it a grand total of one time. What a waste of money that was for us. And Joel, you grill out. You used to grill out pretty often, but not as often anymore. I like to grill a few times a month. A month. Yeah, like oh. in the, at least in the summer, not in the winter. But usually, yeah, in, in the summer, it's nice to grill out a few times a month. And do you use one of these steel brushes? I do. I had no idea that that was even a thing. They, they get left behind under grilling and get stuck to your food. So. so, of course, there are alternatives. Now that I've got your attention, because you don't want a family member or a guest to your house to end up in the hospital. So... There are now a number of bristle-free brushes you can use, and there are brushes that are made of safer materials. There's one called Grill Badger that makes its bristles from plant fibers that won't hurt you. And I'm looking at one of the examples of one that is completely safe that kind of rolls on your grill. It's called brush tech and so i know we've got enough to worry about in life 
and you're like, now I'm messing up. You're grilling out. No, I'm trying to keep you from messing up somebody who eats something that you cook for them on the grill and then part of your metal brush ends up in their body and that is not going to end well. So just a thought for you. Julie joins us. Hi, Julie. How are you today? Hi, Clark. I'm good. How are you? Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking my call, and I really just wanted to thank you overall for your advice to so many people out there. Well, you are very nice to say that, Julie, and I hope that I can give you some advice that will help you with your wallet. Yes. So I am debating whether it's time to purchase my first home. I'm in my early 20s. I live by myself. I have good credit, and I was thinking of purchasing a house, and then I went to considering probably a condo, a townhouse, since it's just me for now. Um, but I'm thinking, I, I have a stable job, and I'm, I see myself staying here for a while, but I also see the potential of uh, future relocations and traveling over the next three years or so. So I don't know how that is going to conflict and I did consider probably renting my place but I know that comes with a lot of other things that sure. I am not familiar with. You know you've got the financial ducks in a row to buy a home but the things you just said to me make me feel that you're best off being a renter instead of an owner because if in the next three years you could potentially relocate that's too short a cycle to be a homeowner and especially too short to be an owner of a condo. I like for people buying condos to be in a point in your life that you would want to stay in that condo 10 years or more. And with condos, usually you're not legally allowed to rent them out. The association over the condo will prohibit rentals. So you could end up with something that you're stuck with that you can't stay in, but you're having to pay for it if it's not a good time to try to sell. So when would be the best time? Like, I'm when, when, probably... you, when you're established in your career, in the community that you feel like you want to live in, and you feel like you would stay in a home, my, my favorite target is seven years or longer. Right. So okay. it's common that someone at your age would want to buy a place because it, it feels it gives you a sense of permanence it feels like a check mark like that you've really established yourself but the goal should be that you want something that's going to be not just a place to live in but also will be a good financial decision and I really worry about buying a home of any type where you might only be able to stay in it for three years if you said you know sometime in the next 10 years I might move on somewhere else. Then I'd say, well, let's talk about buying a house. But with the window being shorter, it is tempting as it would be to buy a home and people will be happy to sell you one. I don't think it's the best decision right now. And some other pressure that I've had is, you know, that I keep hearing that prices keep going up. And and so that's why I just kind of didn't want to wait. But I didn't want that to be the only reason why I was purchased now. Because let me tell you the other pressure. It costs roughly 10% of the cost of a home going in with all the fees and expenses involved. Mm -hmm. And when you sell, figure it's 10% going back out. So that creates a pressure that you have essentially 20% of the value of what you buy, you have to overcome 
and gain in the house before you're dead even. So if you buy a place for, let's just keep numbers simple, for $100,000, when you go to sell it, you got to sell it for at least 120000 just to cover the cost of getting in and getting out. And in your case, I think that the advice of staying put and renting is the better course for you. Nate is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Nate. Hello, Mr. Howard. How you doing, sir? Great, but please call me Clark. Okay, Clark. <laughs> yeah, what I was calling about, I've been receiving a lot of things in the mail about winning different types of contests, and I haven't really put much confidence in it. I've been kind of throwing a lot of things out. Today, I received a phone call from a, a gentleman. He was a, stated he was a director in a certain sweepstakes, and that I had won uh, $410,000. Wow. What are you going to do with all of it? Well... Actually, I won't believe it until it gets here and it's actually the truth because there's so many you know, scams out there and things. Well, I was teasing when I said, what are you going to do with it? Because <laughs> the odds are about 99.99999% that it's bogus. What did the gentleman say to you next? Well, he said basically that it would be coming tomorrow, anytime between 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock. Make a long story short, he's saying because it's over $100,000, it would be a 1% insurance charge. I guess, uh, for protection in case it was And they're going to send you a partial check, and then the, you're supposed to send them back some money for the right. insurance charge? He told me I would have to go to Western Union, get a money center form. It's a green form. He told me a particular name. Nate, you hear that? Yes. I want to tell you that is an old bad scam. Is that right? Bad scam. Let me tell you how it plays. Okay. Okay. The con artist has made you is a mark. Mm -hmm. And as the mark, the check that will show up tomorrow will be for who knows how much money. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's say it's for, uh, you said $470,000. So they may send you a check for four grand, five grand. 410,000. Yeah. So they send you a check for four grand, right? Okay. Okay. The check tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Then you're supposed to take that check and deposit it in your bank account. Okay. When the check clears, they will have you wire the money, Western Union, to cover the insurance charge. Okay. And then later, supposedly, your $410,000 is coming. But it's not, because what will happen to you is in about six weeks, could be less, but usually several weeks down the road, that check will bounce. Okay. When that check bounces, you're out all that money. I see. Mm -hmm. So it is as bogus as any other you've ever seen. Now, by the way, if you went to Western Union's website for MoneyGram, Mm -hmm. they would tell you the warning about this scam. Really? Yeah, because people go in and they're screaming at Western Union, how did you let me get get this money stolen from me? Mm -hmm. And they're not doing anything other than they're just, you go in and you ask them to send a wire and they send it. Right. Like this gentleman said, it would be a 1%. No, this is not a gentleman. Okay. <laughs> Let's well, remove that word, and, and I don't care what fish story the gentleman told you. I can tell you, you are one step away from getting taken. I promise. Emma is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Emma. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Emma. How can I serve you? First of all, I just want to thank you for everything that you do. You are truly appreciated. Well, you're kind to say that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I am currently participating in my employer's Roth 401k. I'm allowed to contribute up to $18,000 a year in the Roth 401k. The Roth is managed through Vanguard. My employer offers a 4% match. 
and I'm currently contributing 6%, so I am receiving my full match. I just recently was able to lower my monthly expenses, and now I'm able to contribute an additional 3%. And my question is, should I just increase my current Roth 401k by 3% or open up an additional? No, I think that's perfect. I think that's perfect to just keep it simple because you're in a Roth 401k. For people who aren't familiar with it, it is the cousin of or really the brother or sister of a traditional 401k it's just you're not getting a tax deduction up front but you avoid taxes down the road by having put in after-tax dollars up front and because your employer uses vanguard for the 401k you have ultra low costs and simply increasing your contribution there is perfect but i did want to ask you something else do you have money in a savings account if you had an oops in your life rainy day or anything like that Yes, I do have an emergency fund. If you've got the emergency fund, then now that you've freed up additional cash, you are 100% right to simply increase your contribution to your Roth 401k. Okay. Well, I just want to tag on with that. I contacted my retirement plan, and it indicated to me that with the 401k, the Roth 401k, if I had a hardship, that I still would be penalized if I received the money from the Roth 401k versus if I possibly had a Roth IRA. Is that true? Well, you're penalized in a a Roth IRA too. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Wait, that's a very interesting thought. So with a Roth IRA, you're able to withdraw your contributions, not your earnings at any time, tax and penalty free. Mm -hmm. That would be an advantage to you creating a little more complexity in your life and having, let's say, a separate Roth IRA with Vanguard where you would have access to your contributions without any worry or hassle about taxes or penalties. That's right. Okay. Wow. (laughs) I never thought of that, and no one's ever asked me that. That's why we all learn together. Yes, sir. I learned that from you, actually. So that's what made me confused about which one I should open or if I should have both. Yeah, So, but you already have an emergency fund. Yes. So I do. that would be like a backup to your backup yes, if sir. you took that additional pay and put it in a Roth IRA. Yes, sir. So that's a perfectly valid idea, and that would be a good reason to do your beyond the 6% you're putting in to do it in a Roth IRA. Good for you. Richard is with us. Richard, you want to talk math with me? Yes, sir. Let's see if I can help. Okay, well, thanks for having me on. Sure. And um, I've pulled a lot of good information from you over the years. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. My question is, I have a credit score of approximately 790. It's funny, I just bought a home. It was like 820. Now it's down to 790. I think it's because I bought too many things. But... (laughs) That that happens. People buy a home, and it's not unusual that in the six months after buying a home that their credit score will drop 50 to 100 points. Well, and I think part of it is something that I shouldn't have done. I had purchased probably about 50 to 60% of what I was allowed on a particular credit card when you should stay under 33%, as I remember. Yeah, 30%. But doing it on one individual card... It's not a big factor, Richard. It's your overall 
use of available credit that really matters for your score. Okay, and I pay it in full every month too, but here's the deal. One particular company keeps offering me an increased credit limit. Take it. Oh, okay, it won't hurt my credit score? No, it raises your credit score. Oh, wonderful. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. The more limit you're offered, the lower the amount of available credit you're using, the higher your credit score goes. So unless you're somebody who, given access to credit, which you're not going to have this problem, but if you're given access to credit, you use it, anybody else, the more available credit you're offered, grab it. Say yes, because it'll boost your score. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where you learn ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. Clark.com slash ask is where you go to post a question for me, or you can get your question answered off the air. That's a free service of the Clark Howard Show. You can talk with a member of Team Clark nine hours each weekday. If you go to the main page of Clark.com, scroll down a bit, you'll see how to call in and hours that free off-the-air advice is available to you. I'm proud that we've been doing this for just under 25 years. There is a practice that the banks do that really I can't stand. There is a database that's maintained in a cooperative way for the banks called check systems. And the idea of it is that if somebody messes up on their checking account, a bank can put you on the register and then for many years, typically five years, you are not allowed to open a checking account at most any bank in the United States. Now here's the problem with the registry. There's no set rules on why a bank can put something on there. So one bank might do it just because, well, they don't like that you bounced a check once, that you made good that same day. And they go ahead and put you on there, and you're on the bad boy, bad girl list for five years. Another bank may only put somebody on there if you committed what they believe is an act of fraud against the bank, or that you bounce checks and then didn't make them good. In other words, there's no system for what constitutes you being on the bad boy, bad girl list. Each bank gets to decide. Worse, there's no system for appeal for a consumer if you end up on this. So... The bank has all the power, and one bank can ruin it for you with all the others. Well, people pretty much recognize that the system is a bit out of control. Nobody more than credit unions. So now a number of credit unions around the country no longer are part of this registry. So if you've been put on the system... And you're prevented at bank after bank when you go to them to try to open an account. You instead can try a credit union. In fact, you go online and you Google, you can see who in your area 
is not a participant in check systems, you can go in and open an account. Now, obviously, the institutions that are doing this are doing it because they've not noticed that they're being gamed by crooks. If that ends up happening, obviously, they would have to start screening in this way or another way. Also, others that do participate in check systems, some of them offer what's often referred to as a fresh start or second chance checking account. And so you can do uh, fresh start checking or second chance checking, either term, and search and find institutions that will give you like a probationary account. They may restrict your activity more for a few months, at most typically six months, and then you graduate to being a full-fledged customer of that bank. But I want you to know that if you do want to have a traditional bank account and you have been blacklisted, remember that credit unions are generally your best friend. That doesn't mean that every credit union gives you the green light, but you're much more likely to get the green light from a credit union than you ever are from a bank. Remember, they're the ones that have this system that allows any bank without any due process to ruin your reputation for five years in the first place. Steve is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Steve. Hi, Clark. Say, I want to start out by thanking you for taking my call. Well, I'm glad to have you here, Steve. Well, okay. My question is, is that I have a vehicle that I own and it's two years old. And, you know, you're well aware that as you approach the model change, dealers are offering a lot of incentives. And I was wondering, is there an optimum time to sell a vehicle, you know, when you purchase it new? Or should you just keep the vehicle until the maintenance becomes overwhelming? Yeah, a two-year-old car, you want to hold on to that thing. Because a new car loses the greatest amount of its value in the first 12 months, the next greatest in the next 12 months, and on like that, that what's called the depreciation curve starts off very steep and then starts to flatten out. The great news, Steve, is that cars are unbelievably more reliable than they used to be. I was talking to a car guy about the reality that 15 years ago, I got Lemon Law questions every single week I was on the air. There was never a week out of 52 that I didn't get at least one call about somebody wanting to Lemon Law a car. In the last year, I have gotten a grand total of one lemon law call because the cars are made so much better today so if you've got a two-year-old car how many miles you have on the thing i have less than twenty-seven thousand. right so you're driving a typical mileage cycle somewhere between 12 and fifteen thousand miles a year it's kind of like an average for a driver with a car so your car is still a baby it's it's got a long 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 road in front of it So I would feel no urgency at all to ditch it, unless you hate it. Do you hate the car? No, actually, actually, it's been a really excellent vehicle. There's been no warranty issues. 
you put fuel and change the lubricants in it, and it just keeps running. Ben, I'd say you got no move other than to keep driving that car. I'm a big fan of keeping vehicles on the road when you buy them new for 10 years or if you buy them used for four years or more. Okay. So Okay. Well, Clark, I certainly appreciate sure. your, uh, your advice. And Thank you. I, I expect not to hear from you one week after your warranty ends on that thing and you say, Clark, you gave me the worst advice ever. <laughs> the engine fell out of the bottom of the thing. The reality is that cars often today last completely trouble-free for years and years and years far beyond a manufacturer's warranty in years or miles. Brian is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Brian. Hey, Clark. How are you? Good. Congratulations to you. You're going to be a daddy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Is this your first? Yep, it is. All right. So uh, here's your assignment between now and the birth of your baby. Uh-huh. Get as much sleep as you can. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely working on it. Okay. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, if your newborns, like any of my three, when they were newborns, sleep yep. is not a big part of the agenda. That's what I keep hearing. <laughs> yeah. Well, how can I be of service, Brian? All right, sir. What I wanted to do was I want to set up like a savings fund or like a college fund. And I was wondering if you could tell me what the best way for me to go about it would be. Well, it's really, really easy. You got to wait till your child's born. Okay. And then the best of all, and they really have gotten better and better and better, are what are known as 529 plans. Okay. 529 plans are uh, special college savings plans where you're allowed to put money in, gosh, virtually unlimited sums. I call it okay. virtually unlimited because we're talking about a quarter million dollars or so with the ceiling that you can put in and have it grow tax-free and then be spent tax-free on your child's college 18 or so years from now. Okay, now is this something that if she decides she wants to do something with the money or is this going to be dedicated towards the college fund alone? It can only be used for college. If the money is not used for college, under the tax tax code, code. you get eaten up. Okay. They charge you... um, under the current rules in 18, 19 years from now, the laws may be different how you're penalized, but you pay tax on all your earnings and you pay a 10% penalty on top of that. So I can already tell in the womb you have a genius there. (laughs) College-bound newborn coming, right? Yep, I definitely hope so. That's the plan. Okay, so 529 plans, odd things about them. They have to be sponsored by a state. Okay. And when they're sponsored by a state, you have to put money in to the plan of any state. It can be whatever state you want to. Okay. And with almost no exceptions. However, I put out a list. I go through all the plans and figure out which ones are great and which ones are duds. And I put up a list. And if your state is on my recommended list buy your state plan after your baby's born. The reason is, in many states, there will be a tax benefit that the state gives you going into your state plan. On the other hand, if your state is not on my list, you're better off going into one of my, what I call, Dean's List plans and forgetting whatever tax benefit your state may offer because 
if your state didn't make my list, it means their plan is so frightfully expensive or so crummy that you don't want to be in it. If you go to Clark.com, you'll see my 529 plan guide. And again, congratulations on the upcoming birth of your child, Brian. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. How are you doing? Very good, Clark. I'm sure you're doing great as well. I got to tell you, it's been a great day. It's beautiful here. Um, I wanted to tell you about how my girlfriend and I just returned from our bank in an attempt to set up an account for private donations for personal reasons. And uh, we were left with more questions than answers. And we're curious to know if uh, you have any ideas of social media or maybe even uh, what do you call those banks that uh, credit unions or anything that we could try to uh, set up a fund like you do for funerals, only for a more long term. So there's something that's happened in... A life-changing experience that left her with surgery, bills, um, trying trying to get a hold of some legal counsel. Uh, medical expenses, of course, living expenses, and, of course, she's been left unemployed. And a lot of this is falling upon my hands. But the community has reached out, and they want to, uh, to set up some sort of donation system for her. And PayPal is one option and other things. But no, there's that, one in particular you should look at called GoFundMe. GoFundMe? Have you heard of that? I have heard of it. So GoFundMe is uh, people do it for different reasons. Maybe somebody has died and there's not money to bury or cremate that person or somebody has an emergency it could be a medical issue where somebody needs a surgery or whatever it's a number of different things and you can go see how it works now they charge a fee of i think it's right around eight percent of the money collected they take is their part you can confirm that fee that's my memory and there's another one called youcaring.com Okay. that as best I know is free. I don't know how they handle credit card fees and stuff like that, but certainly. But these are kind of like crowdfunding for individuals. Sure. Um, she's not trying to advertise her situation. Uh, she already has the folks lined up. She was thinking of even giving out her savings account number to them. What do you think about that? Um, well, I don't know that I would give people an account to put money into, but Venmo would be a way for people to put money into her benefit. Are you familiar with Venmo? I'm writing it down. Venmo is a very, very popular thing with people in their 20s and 30s, and it is a platform, V-E-N-M-O, where you can send money for free instantly to anyone else. I like it. So there are a number of platforms now that are available to do this, the banking industry just is not well equipped, as, I see you, that. as you found out. Many restrictions. Right. 
So the, the marketplace now offers a number of platforms to do it where the banks are essentially irrelevant. I like the sounds of that. A lot of people would agree with that as well, I'm sure. Okay, well, good luck, and I wish her the best of luck. Thank you so very much, Clark. I listen to your show all the time, and I love it. Well, thank you very much. Mary Ellen is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mary Ellen. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Mary Ellen, you got a letter in the mail no one wants to get. (laughs) I did indeed. It was notification that my data might have been hacked and a whole list of things to do. Thanks to you, I froze my credit with all three credit bureaus well over probably two years ago now, but the grapevine has told me that I also need to freeze it with a bureau called Innovis, and I had never heard of them, and I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. Innovis is sometimes referred to as the fourth credit bureau, and they're really in a different line of business than Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. So I don't know that you need to really do anything with Innovus. I don't, I don't know there's any value okay. in you doing that. Okay. So okay. if you've frozen Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, you've done the precautions you should take. You're not bulletproof with right. the credit freeze, but you sure make it a lot more work for someone to cause any hassle for you So I would rest easy. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your input. Okay, have a great day. If you have a question for us, go to Clark.com slash ask. But right now, did you know that season two of our Empowerment Zone podcast is in full swing? If you don't already know, the Empowerment Zone is something I love. It's done by our executive producer, Kim, where she shares stories of people and businesses that are both empowering and I find inspiring. So Kim, this latest episode, Erasing Hate, this is a story about how one man is truly making a difference in his hometown, right? Yep. His name is Corey Fleischer. He's from Montreal, Canada, and he is the founder of Erasing Hate, which is a homegrown movement sent to rid the world of hateful graffiti. You know, they asked me how often are you actually doing this? And I'm, I'm 24-7, you know, 365. You know, even when I'm working, this is what I'm thinking about. When I go to bed, I'm dreaming about hate crimes. And, and then, you know, I get up in the morning and I'm eating hate crimes for breakfast. And now his idea to erase hate is a full-blown movement to rid the world of hateful graffiti. But Kim, you really left out the best part. What is that? He does this all for... Ah, No Canadian dollars, no U.S. dollars, (laughs) no euros. Yep, he sure does. He is absolutely inspiring. Okay, well, you can check out this latest episode of The Empowerment Zone by going to Clark.com slash Empowerment Zone, or you can subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off-air for free, nine hours a day. If you go to Clark.com and go down the home screen, you'll see a section, Consumer Help and Tools. Click on Consumer Action Center, and you can get that free off-the-air advice.